thank you, man. Thank you for just your encouragement. Thank you for trusting me with the weight of what God is doing. Thank you for just your encouragement and your brotherhood and your fatherhood. I appreciate that. And I, I think you truly have no idea just, just how much that means. Uh, to my wife, who was not able to be here today, uh, mm, my rib, uh, my good thing, my, my biggest cheerleader. Throughout the course of these past two weeks, she's been building me up more than I ever knew I needed. And had it not been for God positioning her, I honestly do not believe I would have made it through the process of this message. Because God was taking me through some things and processing me through some things and all the time she was right there. So God strategically used her to build me up and to encourage me. And for that, I, I have no words other than thank you and that I love you. Uh, to my family who's here today, uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for, thank you for who you are. And just thank you for just building me up the way that you always have. Uh, and I wouldn't be here if it were not for you all. And to my church family, I, I say the same to you. You have no idea what your friendship and what community means to me. So thank you. Uh, today's scripture uh, comes out of First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. It's a passage that pastor has been, uh, has been touching on. And uh, I, I, I told him earlier, uh, yo, it was a time me and you was going to fight, man. <laughs> But I honestly believe that the reason that God gave him this sermon and gave me this sermon is because there are some principles that as a people of God, we cannot afford to miss in this prayer. Amen. And so Amen. the title of this prayer, uh, the title of this sermon, rather, if there was a title, is the spirit of a name and the blessing requires boldness. So if you have your Bibles with you, it's First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. New King James Version, and it'll be on the screen before you. And it says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed. And enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil. You may be seated in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, even now, hide me behind your cross. Hide me behind the character and the nature of who you are. Decrease me and increase you. I ask that your word cut me so that it may cut everyone under the sound of my voice. But even then, Lord God, stitch us up. Heal us with what it is that you are attempting to bless us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Chronicles is special in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons it's so special is because it's a book of records. It's actually a book of 
family histories, of genealogies of the nation of Israel, of the 12 tribes of Israel, tracing all the way back to Adam, in fact. And part of the reason that's so important is because in that time and in that day, you weren't known by who you were. You were known based on who your family was. If your father's name was recorded because you were normally known by who your father was, but if your father's name was not recorded, you were known based on who your mother was. If you, your mother's name was not recorded, you were known based on who your siblings were, meaning that throughout the course of scripture, you were known based on your relationship to somebody else. So when we get through chapter four of, of First Chronicles, and as you go through the descendants, the list of descendants in the tribe of Judah, when we show up at the prayer of Jabez, we see something strange. We, we see something that's unorthodox because it doesn't even mention his father. Barely mentions his mother. Barely mentions his brothers. Matter of fact, he tip, it seems as though he shows up out of nowhere. So because of the fact that we know nothing about his father, because of the fact that the only thing we know about his mother is that she bore him in pain, the only thing that we knew about his brothers is that he was more honorable than them. For all intents and purposes, we don't know nothing about this joker except for the fact that he was an elder of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> That's the only thing that we really know about this man. But scripture gives us a couple of instances that we can identify him for ourselves. One of the things that we have is his name. And his name literally means he who causes pain. Meaning his mother was in so much pain at the time that she was born that she literally spoke the spirit of the pain that she was in over the rest of his life. <laughs> it's one thing to be tagged by somebody you don't know. It's one thing to be tagged about somebody who's not that close to you. But to be tagged by your own mother? That's a pain that most people never truly heal from. Because it doesn't just speak to who you are. It speaks to who you will be for the rest of your life. But that's funny because in spite of his namesake and in spite of what he was tagged with, the person that wrote the Chronicles goes past the very tradition, goes past the very thing that you are supposed to identify somebody with. He pushes past his relationship with his family and he bases the identity of Jabez on his relationship with God. He pushes past the very thing he was known for and goes into the very thing that God knew him for. As awesome as that is, it pegs the question, what are you using to identify yourself with? It pegs the question, what are you using to identify yourself? Because if you're saved, if you have a relationship with Christ, your relationship with Christ is the only thing that you should be using to identify yourself with. Because it is the only thing that truly bears testimony of the territory of your heart, the point of your focus, and the spirit of your identity. That was an understanding Jabez had to be brought to. He didn't just arrive at that understanding. And if we know that because if you look through the elements of his prayer, if you look at the parts of his character that show up in his prayer, 
you see that he pushes past the very thing that was used to identify him and he goes to the very person that his identity comes from. But that's a process that had to start with the territory of Jabez's heart. When we look at 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, one of the things that we see Jabez say is, oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory. Territory and land was so important in those days because in the time, in the, in the day of Jabez, that was a sign and a source of wealth. It was a representation of who you were in the standing of your territory. What had been brought under your command, what had been brought under your control. But the problem with land was that in order for it to be enjoyed, it had to be claimed, it had to be conquered, it had to be cultivated before it could be enjoyed. And that was a process that, that is a process that we see in my, in my opinion, with Caleb the best. You see that with the story of Caleb. When we look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 33, we see that Caleb is one of 12 spies that is sent into the promised land to get a better read of what the land is. He is one of the people, as the nation of Israel is on the verge of entering the promised land, to just go and get a lay of the land. So he goes with these 11 other people and they get a lay of the land and of the 12 spies, 10 of them say, oh, yo, the land is everything that God said it was. It's surely flowing with milk and honey. But the problem is, it's giants down there. We, we, it's too many, it's too many cats down there that's been fighting since before we was born. There is no way that we can take these dudes. Caleb and Joshua are the only two of that 12 that stand up and they say, whoa, hold up, no. God gave us this. God says this is ours. So if God says this is ours, then it's ours. All we need to do is go and take it. And if he has for us to go and take it, that means he is going to go with us for us to take it. But the 10, they look at Joshua, they look at Caleb, and they look at the rest of the people and they say, no, you tripping. <laughs> That's not, that's not, no, that's not the case. There are giants down there. There is no way that we can go and do this. So these 10 get in the ear of the rest of the Israelites and because of the fact that they are so afraid, not only are they ready to stone Joshua and Caleb for the report that they gave, but they're ready to set up a captain to lead them back to the land of Egypt because they are so afraid that God has led them to this place to die. Now, as crazy as that sounds, how many times as Christians have we done the exact same thing? How many times are we ready to go back to what God has brought us out of because we're too afraid of what he's taking us into? How many times have we really been ready to go back to prison because we don't like what a promise has taken us to? All because we believe the wrong report. You better be careful whose voice you listening to. You better be real careful whose voice you're listening to because the voice that you listen to could have an effect on how much victory you're able to walk in. The nation of Israel found that out the hard way. God was literally so upset with them because they had seen 
all that he had done in the wilderness for them. He is, they had seen all the works. They had seen his acts. They had seen how he had provided for them all those years in the, in, in the wilderness. And they finally get to the edge of the promised land and they're ready to go back to Egypt. So God tells Moses, he says, dude, look, get ready. Because I'm going to wipe these dudes out and start all over with you. I am ready to kill them. Because God has seen that the territory of their hearts was so occupied with fear that they didn't have the faith that they needed to take over the land that God had already given them. And if it hadn't been for Moses' intercession, that's exactly what would have happened. So rather than kill them, God said from 20 years of age on up, they will not enter the land that I have for them. But with Caleb, God made a promise. He gave Caleb a promise. He said, the land that you have searched out, I'm giving to you. And the reason that God gave him the land is because Caleb had already claimed it in his heart. So when the next generation of Israelites, when they're ready to take over the land 45 years later, it's funny because scripture says that Caleb was just as strong then as he was when God made the promise. So here Caleb is at 85 years old. He goes to Joshua and says, yo, give me the mountain that God promised me. Yo, that mountain is mine. Give me, give me the mountain that God promised me. Caleb, what are you talking about? There's giants up there, so. <laughs> that mountain is mine. God gave me this mountain. He gave it to me 40 years ago, and 45 years later, I am ready to take what he gave me. One of the reasons that Caleb's faith has sustained him is because of the fact that the claiming, the conquering, and the cultivation had already taken place in his heart. If God did that with Caleb, don't you think he wants to do that with us? If we're going to walk in and claim the territory that God has for us to enjoy, yes. Yes. we have to claim, conquer, or cultivate the territory of our hearts that has been set against what God has said is already ours. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down thoughts, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. He's talking about territory. He's talking about the very thing that we have allowed Satan to take and occupy space in our minds. And one of the reasons he knows that it's so important for those things to be torn down is because your thoughts and your imaginations can become idols that have been built by your emotions. If you are not careful, these very things will take off your focus, will take off your worship, will take the very thing away from you that was meant to be to God to begin with. This dude just cut me off. He better hope I don't pop this trunk and... <laughs> I wasn't saved all my life. She better watch who she. <laughs> one of the very things and one of the very reasons that Paul knew this was so important is because 
our thoughts and our imaginations, they belong to God anyway. That is territory that was sanctioned for God. And so one of the ways that we know we need to tear those down is to walk in the truth and the belief of who he says we are and who we are in him, who he is in us. That is what it means to bring those things into obedience, to believe what he has said about us to us, no matter how we may feel about it. God's word is more real than your emotions. God's word is more real than your emotions. I'm going to say it again because sometimes we don't believe that. God's word is more real than your emotions. But holding on to that truth is the very thing that we need to be able to do if we're going to be faithful with the territory that God has given us. Because until we're faithful with what he's given, we can't ask God for more. First Chronicles chapter 4 and 10, Jabez is asking God to enlarge his territory. As an elder of the tribe of Israel, he had already had territory. And even more so than that, he was faithful with the territory that God had given him. But one of the things that Jabez had to understand was that in asking God to enlarge his territory, one of the things that needed to happen was that he needed to enlarge the faith that was in Jabez's heart. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had room to receive it. And a lot of times that only comes through pain. He had to come to the understanding that in order for God to give him what he had placed in his heart to ask him for, He had to stretch him. He had to break him. He had to bring him to the place where he was ready to cry out unto God. Because that was the only time he would be able to receive it. That was the only time his heart would be able to have room to receive what God had for him. That's why one of the things that Jabez says, Jabez says, is that keep your hand upon me. That you would keep me from evil. Because Jabez understood if his faith wasn't ready for what God gave him, the blessing may as well have been a curse. God will not give you what your faith is not prepared to handle. He won't give you what your faith is not prepared to handle because otherwise he knows that it will cause you too much harm for you to be able to enjoy. So he asked God, keep your hand on me that no evil can harm me. He doesn't say, God, don't let evil come my way. He doesn't say that. One of the things that he's saying is, God, I need your hand. I need you. I need your character. I need your I need I need you. Cover me, protect me so that I don't walk into something that I'm not even ready to receive yet. Jabez had to come to the understanding that everything he had been through up until this point was for the stretching of his faith was for the enlarging of his faith. Everything that he had been through, no matter what he had been tagged with, no matter what was said about him, no matter what had been done to him, no matter what he had been through, all of it worked together for his good because of the fact that he was in relationship with God. Everything that you have been through, Everything that you have gone through, the very thing that is taking you to your knees because you knew that it was too heavy for you to handle. God is using for the stretching of your faith. 
And even more so than that, God is measuring the very thing that is killing you. So that it is just enough to bring you to your knees. With Jabez. God is measuring the very thing that is destroying him. Measuring the very thing that he allowed to come your way. So that it brings you to cry out on the hymn. He knows just what it takes. Jabez had to come to the understanding that yes, God let him go through the pain, but he held on to his heart. He let him go through the hurt, but he held on to the most important part of who he was. No matter what God is taking you through right now, even though he's letting you go through the pain, even though it is not comfortable, he's holding on to the most important part of who you are. And even then, he is wrapping you in his arms and measuring the very thing that is killing you so that it becomes the very thing that prepares you for the promise that he gave you. So that you can walk and claim your territory and claim your blessing with the confidence in Psalm chapter 60, verse 12. Through God, I will do value. Because it's him that is trampling my enemies. Part of the reason God lets you go through what you go through is so you can see that he is your provision. He is your territory. He is your victory. He is your portion. And a lot of times the reason we lack the confidence to walk in what God has given us is that we're so focused on the pain that we're in. (laughs) That as Christians, we never get the opportunity to walk fully enough into our territory because we miss the fact that the point of our pain is to push us to depend on him, to lean on him, to enjoy him. And not just what we want from him. A few weeks ago, I, uh, I, I did a boxing workout with a friend of mine who was a personal trainer. And he had me doing a circuit workout. Circuit training, you do exercise after exercise after exercise after exercise after exercise with no rest in between. And only when you finish that set of exercises do you get a 30 second to a minute rest and then you do it all over again. During our workout, I had just been through two rounds of push-ups, sit-ups, laps, jump ropes, lunges, and three minutes on the heavy bag. Three minutes. So by the time I got to the third round, I was so tired I couldn't see straight. I mean, literally, my hands felt like bricks. My legs felt like jello. If anything, I was just throwing, hoping to hit something. (laughs) And I still had two minutes left on the heavy bag. So I'm punching, and my trainer says something strange. He says, yo, I know you tired, but focus on what you aiming at. He knew that my focus was in the wrong place. My focus was on the pain that I was in versus what I was aiming at to begin with. How many times as Christians do we do the exact same thing? 
we focus so much on the pain that we're in that we miss the fact that God is our mark. He is our focus. He is our, it's, it's him. It's him. That's part of why Paul says, forgetting those things which lie behind me and looking at those things that are before me, I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. Because that calling has a better bearing on who I am than the pain that I'm in. Your pain was never meant to determine who you are. Your pain does not determine who you are. If anything, your, pre your pain is a point of pressing to get you to the place where your eyes are on the very thing, on the very person that your identity actually comes from. Your pain was never meant to determine who you are. Jabez had to come to that understanding because in spite of the spirit of the pain that he was in, he pressed his way toward the very person his identity came from. He went to the spirit of his identity, which he knew was hidden in God, and the spirit of his identity was more than he could have ever asked God for, more than he could have ever imagined. Let me prove it. Whenever you look in scripture, a change in name represents a change of identity. When you look at Abram, which means high father, we see God turned him into Abraham, which means father of nations. He turned Sarai, which means princess, into Sarah, which means mother of nations. He turned Jacob, which means one who was after one's heels or deceiver, into Israel, which means one who has prevailed with God or one who has seen God. We look at Simon, who is he who has heard, turned to Peter, which means rock or stone. The change in the name represents the change in the identity because the identity reflects a purpose that was always give bigger than the person it was given to. So a lot of people are asking, what does that have to do with Jabez? I'm glad you asked. The last part of 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and 10 says that God granted his request. So me being the nerd that I am, I, I went back and I did some research because I needed to see what was so important about this territory? What was so important about Jabez's prayer that the author of Chronicles interrupted the progression of the Chronicles just to highlight this man's prayer, just to highlight this man's territory, just to highlight who this man was? This is what I found. Can you show us the picture of Jabez's territory? The town of Jabez the place of he that causes pain would later be known as the town of Bethlehem. Which in Hebrew means the house of bread. God used the pain of one man to be the provision of the entire world. He used the pain of one man to bring provision for the entire world because it would later become the birthplace of the bread of life. He uses the pain of one person 
Thank you, Jesus. To bring about provision. To bring about the provision for the entire world, your salvation, my salvation, our salvation, because it will later become the birthplace of the bread of life. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. Jabez is a living testimony of that. Yes. He went to God hoping for an answered prayer. Yes, but what he got was the backdrop of a prophecy. Yes, Jabez is an Old Testament shadow of a man who was well acquainted with grief. One that scriptures call a man of sorrows. One that was called the suffering servant, the lamb that was slain. Jabez is a shadow of Christ. Because he uses the pain of Christ to bring about the provision of your joy, of your peace, of your salvation of any and everything that you were ever in need of because he doesn't just hold it in his hands. It is him. It's him. Jabez had no idea. None. But what he got, oh my God. What he got was the change in his identity that he had been tagged with. That he had been smacked over the head with. The very thing that caused him pain was the very thing that became his provision. Because God used it as an Old Testament example to show that Christ just as the chronicles were interrupted by Jabez's story, Christ descended and interrupted the destruction that you were headed in. Interrupted the very thing that was killing you. That you had no idea about. That you couldn't even fathom was coming your way. And allowed that pain that he took for you to be the very provision that will walk you into the blessing of who he is. We had no idea what God was doing. We still have no idea what God is doing with the pain that we're in. We don't have a clue. But the fact that God used Christ, his own beloved son, the pain that he was in, scripture says he didn't even look human. He was so disfigured, he didn't even look human. Five to six liters of blood were poured out on the cross to the place where he had none left. That pain was your provision. 
Because if it had not been for him, we would not be able to have relationship with God. Wouldn't be able to be called children of God. Wouldn't be able to walk in the presence of God. But because of the fact that his pain was your provision, turn to your neighbor and say, his pain was my provision. His pain is my provision. His pain is my provision because it is the very thing that allows me communion with him. It's the very thing that has brought me to the place where I can cry out on the God, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Because it establishes the fact that I am his child. It establishes the fact that I am his. All because he met me at the point of my pain. And because of the fact that he met me at the point of my pain, I know that I can trust him with it because of the purpose of his. Jabez didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue. He had no understanding of the magnitude of what he was really asking for. He had no bearing of what was coming his way, what God was willing to do with his pain. And to be honest, neither do we. But his prayer is a testimony of what it means to surrender completely Amen. unto God. It's a memorial of what it means to be brought to the place where you are on your knees because of the weight that has been placed on you and you cry out unto God, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Now, in spite of the fact that the blessing that Jabez received was so awesome, it was nothing compared to the blessing of a relationship with his God. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know what it means to be brought in relationship with him. The pain that you are in is pushing you to the very place where you cry out unto him and say, God, I need you. Hebrews chapter four, verses 16 says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in our time of need is him. He's the one that we're in need of. He's the one that's our provision. It's him. And the very blessing that we are in need of requires the boldness for us to go and get it. That is the point of your pain. That's the purpose of the pain that you're in right now. So if you don't know Christ, and for those even of you that do, I don't know what you're suffering from. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been hit with. I don't know what you've been labeled with. I don't know what you have been tagged with. But I know where your pain has been meant to point you toward. I know what it means to be flat on your face before God. Crying that you would bless me. Indeed. 
I know what it means to be broken to the place where it seemed like there was no hope for tomorrow. I know what it means to ask God to take you from here. I know what it is. I know what it means. But more than that, I know what your pain was meant to point you toward. I know what God is able to do with your pain. I know what God is able to provide you from your place of pain. I know what it means. I know what it means. I know what it means. And I promise you, mm, I promise you, with the tears that are running down my face, they are a memorial that God is able to do exceedingly. And abundantly above all that you can ask, think or imagine, according to the power that is at work in you, in you, and in you, is Him, is Him, is Him. Oh my God. It's him. So I pray right now. I pray right now that you walk under God. And cried unto him, oh, that you would bless me indeed. So that he can show you just what it means. Not just to have what's in his hand, but to have him. For you to know what it means to be wrapped up in his presence, to be wrapped up in his heart, to be wrapped up in his love, to be wrapped up in his joy, to be wrapped up and lost in the nature of who he is. Because that is what it means to walk in the blessing that he has for you because it is the blessing of who he is. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you for your pain. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for who you are. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you.